0: I'm going to be reading from John chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, and 20 through 26. You can follow along on the screen behind me, or you can um, follow along in your Bible, whether that be on your phone or an actual Bible. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived and when, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped her feet with her hair. His feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples... Judas Iscariot, whom was later to betray him, objected. Why hasn't this perfume been sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went to worship at the festival, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, with a request. "'Sir,' they said, "'we would like to see Jesus.' "'Philip went to Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. "'And Jesus replied, "'The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. "'Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, "'it remains only a single seed. "'But if it dies, it produces many seeds.' Anyone who loves their life will lose it, and while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and wherever I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. This is the word, the reading of the word of God. You may be seated.
1: Well, we're in our series on the Gospel of John, and it's called Seeing Jesus, and that's because the aim of this book, the aim of the Gospel of John, is to show us Jesus. John tells us that towards the end of the Gospel, towards the end of his book, he says this in John 20, verse 30 through 31, he said, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Jesus did a lot of things. Later on, he says, hey, if All the things, if you were to try to compile, all the things that Jesus did, he says, I don't suppose there are enough libraries in the world to contain the books that would be written. But he says, these are the the reason, this is the reason these things were recorded. But these are written, verse 31, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. So in other words, he didn't just write the Gospel of John in order to get certain ideas across or to, to convey simply the teachings of Jesus. He wrote it so that we would believe certain things about Jesus. And by believing in that, some, something would happen to us. And and that's what Jesus, that's what John is trying to to key on here, and that's what Jesus keys on in his life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Of of all the things, in other words, that John could have chronicled, all the things that he could have done, and he tells us there are many things, he says this, he says, here's what you really need to see. You really need to see the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He spends over half of his gospel on the last week of jesus's life and what he's saying is the message that he's trying to get across is that we really can't understand jesus and we must understand him every person in the world has to deal with jesus you really can't understand jesus without understanding and believing in his death and his resurrection Charles Dickens wrote his book, A Christmas Carol, and he starts off by saying that Jacob Marley was dead as a doornail. And he says, like, in order to understand anything else I have to say, for anything that is going to be here to be wonderful, then you have to understand that Jacob Marley is dead. And the story of Jesus, no part of his life will make sense. Jesus will not make sense unless you understand and believe that he was the Son of God, made human Who died and rose again, and today what we're going to do is we're going to key on this story of Mary anointing Jesus. But but what we really have to understand is that it won't make sense. Even this story won't make sense unless we understand what's going on. We've made that turn in John where the, over last, the last half of this book, the last half of this gospel, keys in the last week of Jesus' life. And Jesus right now, he's basically in the, the suburbs of Jerusalem. He's heading to Jerusalem and he knows he's going to his death. He knows he's going to his death. He's told his disciples that he must suffer and die. And even though they don't understand, that's where he's going and how he's raised Lazarus from the dead. And that's caused more people to believe in him and the people who hate him to hate him even more. And now because he raised Lazarus from the dead and people are believing him and the whole town, the whole city of Jerusalem is now in a stir about Jesus coming there. Those who hate him are plotting to kill both he and Lazarus. And it's the middle of this setting. Jesus going to his death. He knows where he's going. The city is in a stir because he's raised Lazarus from the dead, who was dead for four days. The the leaders are plotting to kill him and Lazarus because all this is going on. And this remarkable thing happens whenever he comes to the home of Lazarus and Martha and Mary and they throw a dinner for him. This is what happens. Mary the sister of Lazarus who had been raised from the dead, Mary brings out this ointment or this perfume. Now, for us to really understand just what a big deal this was, it, it says in the passage, but I just want to highlight what it's really saying. Uh, this, the, the one, this, maybe 11 ounces or so of this, of this ointment, this one jar of this perfume, would be worth about 300 denarii, or that would, a denarii was, a, was a, a one day's salary. So basically, this one small bottle of perfume or ointment would be worth almost a year's salary. So let's say this thing is worth 30, 40, I don't know what your salary is, $800,000, I don't know. Like, imagine, this thing is worth basically Thirty to fifty thousand dollars. This one little jar of ointment, and it says that they were reclining at the table. They would eat reclining, kind of laying down, and they're reclining at the table. And Mary comes up and she anoints his feet. And there's two uh, parallel passages in Matthew and Mark and It says that she would also broke this alabaster jar and also anointed his head. And not only that, then she went and she took her hair, pulled her hair down and rubbed or washed his feet with this ointment with her hair. And Jesus says that this interesting, I mean, you gotta admit, this is kind of an interesting thing to happen, right? I mean, if I was at your house and somebody walked in and pulled their hair down and began to clean your feet with their hair I think we would all kind of look around and say what in the heck is going on but Jesus says this is such an amazing thing that that this story is going to be proclaimed throughout everywhere in the world that the gospel is proclaimed and but something happens when we hear the story We hear the voice here in John, and this just described as being others in the crowd who were there. We hear this voice get raised, and we're going to call it the voice of prudence. The voice of prudence and wisdom. We hear John say, uh, John tell us that Judas said, Why is she wasting this incredibly costly perfume? It would be better if she went and sold this. And then we could give the money to the poor. Now, let's not skip it ahead to why John tells us that Judas was saying it. By the way, it was because he was, like, to take some money out of the poor box. But other people in the room were saying the same thing. The Chances are, you and I would probably be saying or thinking something very similar. Okay, first of all, this is weird. Second, What is she doing with her hair and his feet? And thirdly, why is she wasting such an incredibly costly bottle of perfume or ointment at this moment, at this time? It's the voice of prudence and wisdom. It would be better if she had done this. It would be better if she wasn't debasing herself and going all crazy in front of everybody with her hair and his feet and anointing. It would be better if she didn't break this bottle and waste it upon Jesus' feet and his head at this dinner. It would be better if she didn't waste this moment, if she didn't go overboard. It's the voice of prudence and wisdom that says something else should have and could have been done. It would be more prudent. It would be wiser, right? I think that voice of prudence and wisdom rings in a lot of our head when it comes to following Jesus. Why go overboard? Why do so much? Why give so much? Why live a life that's so radically different than anybody else? It would be wiser, it would be more prudent if we just kind of backed up a little bit, Mary. I think we all hear that voice of prudence and wisdom singing a song in the back of our minds. Let's live a mostly normal life that's Jesus-flavored, Not so different from my neighbors, but different enough. Not so different that I'm a weirdo, but different enough. But those who have followed Jesus and really understood who he was have never looked like the people around them. Their lives have never been governed by prudence, and wisdom their lives have always been radically devoted to christ to his name and to his fame they've always had tears that cried when other people didn't understand why they were crying they've always been going to hard places when others didn't understand why they were going They've always been making career choices and choices about where they're going to live and how they're going to live and who they're going to date and who they're going to marry that were incredibly, radically different than anyone else around them. And the marker is not just because we have some code in a book that's telling us what we should do, is that we have had hearts that are radically changed by the love of Jesus Christ towards us. Jesus says, let her alone. Don't bother her. Don't stop her. Yes, she is wasting this ointment, this perfume. She could have sold it and given the money to the poor. Yes, she could have not debased herself and gotten at my feet. But you see, the voice of prudence and wisdom is a lie, it's a dangerous lie. You know why because prudence wisdom or something that masquerades as wisdom is careful it's guarded it's a keeping back that's the way many of us follow christ it's a guarded it's a keeping back it's a staying in control it's a not going quote too far it's a not going all the way. But here's the deal. Not going all the way and following Christ is a not going at all. Because you're not going after him if you hold back. I just got to marry DJ and Destiny two weeks ago. And if... I was standing there in front of some of you guys, and they're exchanging vows, and I'm like, DJ, do you take destiny to be your lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, to love and cherish her? And he's like, I mostly do. Or, I want to make a 10-year solid commitment to this marriage, Or if Destiny, they exchange vows and Destiny walks into their home and she has a bag that's already packed in the closet just in case. It's a cautiousness. It's a holding back. And that's not going in at all. And that's the way many of you and many of us follow Christ. By holding back. Keeping back being careful, being cautious. But you see, there's no leap of faith if you never leave the ground and there's no following Jesus while reserving or preserving part of yourself. I want want you to hear that. There is no such thing as following Jesus while reserving or preserving part of yourself. If that is how your heart is, if that's how your mind is, if you are reserving and preserving part of yourself from Him, I just want to tell you this morning no condemnation upon you, but you are not actually following Christ. You might be playing a religion. You might be keeping some moral code. You might be observing Sundays and community groups or Bible studies or listening to K-Love or whatever that looks like for you, but you are not following Christ because there is no such thing as following Christ and reserving or preserving part of yourself. That is an Americanized, whitewashed version of Christianity and it parades as true Christianity. We wanna follow Jesus, but we wanna keep some security on the side. And what happens is what often gets paraded as being prudent or being wise is actually unbelief that's whitewashed as prudence and caution. When we believe that there is security Anywhere other than unreservedly throwing ourselves into the hands of Jesus, it's false belief and false faith. And it's a lie. Jesus said, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Unless a grain of seed is buried and dies, it bears no fruit. Now, Mary had been saving this expensive perfume, this expensive ointment, and and who knows what she thought she was saving it for? Maybe because women wouldn't own many things in this time. This is almost certainly the most valuable thing. This is a wealthy family, but it's almost certainly the most valuable thing that Mary owns. And who knows what she was saving it for? Maybe she's saving it for marriage. Maybe she was going to sell it and it was going to help them get started. Maybe she's saving it for a family member. Maybe it was a safety net in case something happened to her brother or her family. She could always know she could sell this and she would have some money. But what Jesus said is, he says, She had been unknowingly saving it to prepare him for his burial. So he says, what about the poor? What about the church? What about the pressing needs of responsibility? All the things that she could have done, and prudence and wisdom would have say that she should have done with this ointment, should have done with this money that could have been gotten from this ointment? He says, no, she did the right thing. She wasted it upon me. We say, God wouldn't. He He wouldn't want you to leave the sure thing. We say God wouldn't want me to give up security. We say God wouldn't want me to, to, for my family to have less. We think God wouldn't ask you or ask me uh, of something that we don't want to give him. We think he wouldn't demand everything of us. I mean, really everything. And I'm here to tell you, oh, he absolutely would. And he would do it like Jesus does in this moment without a hint of shame, without a look of pity in his eyes. Jesus is not embarrassed. Of all the people in the room that are embarrassed, there's two people that are not. There's Mary and there's Jesus. He's not embarrassed a bit that she's wasted this amount of money, this expensive perfume upon his feet and his head. He's not embarrassed at all that she's at his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. He has no sense of shame, no sense of embarrassment, and do you know why? Because he knows that he is worth everything. That if you have Christ, you have everything. And if you have everything else and do not have him, you truly have nothing. It's not something that simply goes on a a Christian t-shirt or a cheesy Christian meme on Facebook. I'm telling you for certain, you can have everything and not have him, or you can have him and not have anything else, and it is a slam dunk in one direction. But everything around us, The whole current of culture, the whole current of our families usually, our friends, our neighbors, the whole current is saying clutch hold of something else for security. Keep part of yourself back. Don't give yourself totally and unreservedly to him. Don't give your finances to him or not all of them. Don't give your time to him. Don't give your love life to him. Don't give your sexuality to him. Clutch and hold part of something back, your security. Having him dwelling in his love, walking life in life with him is worth anything and everything. And Jesus knows it. And that's why he has no shame in this moment. And that's why to your heart and to my heart, he asks He calls and he demands for all of our life, everything. He demands that thing. Not just all of your life, but which should be all. But I'm talking about that thing. I'm I'm talking about that thing when you think about I can give Christ my life except for this thing, this person, this unforgiveness. This job, this security, that bank account, that lifestyle, surely he wouldn't have me follow him and give up that lifestyle. Surely he wouldn't have me follow him and give up security. Surely he wouldn't have him follow him and give up my sexuality. Whatever that thing is that pops in your head is that thing that he actually absolutely has his finger on, that hope. He doesn't just ask for it. He doesn't just call for it, but he demands it he calls you to give it up unreservedly to him and the thing is it's not selfish of him to do so because he knows that's where life lies for you he's just the one that's in the room at this moment with all the people around watching and Mary doing this thing, this just crazy thing, he's the one person in this room who's not blinded by sin as to where true value lies. You see, there's actually a false belief underneath our measured and prudent faith. To be prudent is to be measured, is to be careful, is always weighing options, it's always working an agenda. And Mary does something here that grabs Jesus' attention. What is it about whenever he says, hey, what she has done here is so special, it's going to be proclaimed wherever the gospel is proclaimed. What is it about this act that moves Jesus' heart? What is it that gets him? Well, think about it like this. Right now, in this moment where Jesus is in, he knows he's going to his death, but Everybody around Jesus has an agenda. And that's the case with most important people. When you hear the story of, a, of important or wealthy or famous people, they find that everybody around them has an agenda. You're surrounded, like Jesus is at this point, for, by people who are there for a reason. And that's the case with Jesus, even with his disciples, those that are closest to him, his closest friends and followers, those that have been following him for two or three years now, you see they have an agenda. You see it here with Judas. He says, hey, she should have sold this perfume and cashed that in and put it in this poor box because, by the way, I keep the poor box and I like to help myself to it a little bit. at 10% or 15% of whatever, however he was scheming, like, that's going to go to me but he that's just the most extreme case we see with his disciples they're constantly bickering they're constantly arguing about who's going to be most important who's going to be the the biggest in Jesus' kingdom that's going to come and they had they had left all their jobs and their families to follow him they had sacrificed but mostly it was a it was to at least part of their mind it was to get something Who's gonna be the greatest? Who's gonna be close to him? Peter even at one point reminds Jesus, hey, don't forget, we have sold, have given up everything in order to follow you. And he's basically asking him, what are we gonna get in return? You see the motivation here that lies underneath our prudence? It's this motivation. It's I give, so you give. Jesus, I've given. So therefore, you give. Jesus, I have done, therefore, you do. I have followed you and kept your commandments, and so therefore, give me a spouse. I have given, therefore, make sure that I drive a nice car in return. Look at what you owe me for all that I've given up for you. And we had that mindset, we'll serve, we'll give, we'll do, we'll obey, as long as we're pretty sure that we're getting something in return. But what about when life gets hard? What happens when I'm not getting the life that I always pictured? What happens when that potential spouse doesn't show up? What happens when the marriage goes bad? What happens when the career isn't fulfilling? When the diagnosis comes back as positive? God, look at all that I have sacrificed for you. And as soon as you hear those words, whether you say them out loud or you just hear them run through your mind, as soon as you hear those words, know this. You are actually one of those that have an agenda with Jesus. God, look at all that I've sacrificed for you. Why didn't you give me this? All of a sudden I see, I've got, actually got an agenda with Jesus. Why does Jesus say, that what Mary did here would be proclaimed throughout the world for all time. Do you know why? Because she had seen something. She had experienced something that was taking away all of her personal agendas. And the result that we see is that she is absolutely imprudent in her actions. You see, her actions here actually opened her up to ridicule. Because not only did she waste this perfume, but a woman would never demean herself by taking her hair down like this in public. Not only that, but to wash someone's feet was incredibly demeaning. In fact, there were certain areas where it was illegal to make your servant wash your feet. That's how demeaning it was. So she, a woman not married to Jesus, comes in, holds her hair down, breaks this alabaster jar, anoints his head, anoints his feet, and begins to wipe her feet with her hair and she's using her hair in front of everyone. That would be, in our culture, that would be gross. And this day, it's not just gross, but it's debasing. Mary, please get up. You're embarrassing all of us. What are you doing? This is unseemly. That's why later on there would be people, people who don't understand Jesus and the gospel, who would actually look at this story and think, well, there must be something going on between Jesus and Mary. There had to have been. No woman would act that way in this culture unless that was true. But Judas doesn't think that. He just talks about how wasteful using this ointment was. And if you look at it, it can all seem wasteful, unseemly, dramatic, and beyond the pale, only it didn't, again, to two people in this room, Mary and Jesus, and we're told why. We're we're told why Mary did it and why it just made sense to her and Jesus, the original Greek in verse seven is kind of difficult to translate. The, the ESV translated, pr- translates it pretty literally. It says, Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Uh, but it probably be, means something more like this. Leave her alone. She has done this in order to keep it for the day of my burial. In other words, here's what's going on. Mary has somehow Caught on to something that nobody else has caught on to and she probably doesn't even fully understand it yet But she's somehow caught on to what's going on with Jesus She's seen his works. He raised her brother from the dead after he had been dead four days and they said Lord, are you sure you want to roll away this stone because he stinketh in the King James Version? She's seen his works said that we're told that she believes that he's the Messiah and the Son of God. But now, she somehow senses he's gonna die. How does she know? Well, there, there are plots all around. There are probably rumors of these plots that wanted to kill him and kill Lazarus. Jesus has been alluding to the fact that he's going to suffer and die for quite some time, but whatever it is, at that moment, at that dinner, it, something clicks in her and she, she somehow knows he's going to die, he's going to be killed, and somehow she knows it's for her. She probably doesn't fully understand it yet, but she knows it's for her. And, and whether it's to... Comfort him, or to serve him, or to worship him, or all of those. She comes in and she acts imprudently. She humiliates herself. She gives probably the most valuable thing that she possessed. Possess, because that's what happens. That's what happens when you understand the death of Jesus for you. It kills all your personal agendas you begin to understand just how evil your own agendas have been. How selfish, how self-serving, how using of others, how abusing of power and privileges. Privilege. Whenever you see his death, Jesus' death, as his death for you. When you see how undeserved it was, as we were singing about just a few minutes ago when you see how selfless it was, when you see the blotting out of your sin, when you see the gifts of purity and life freely offered as a result of it, when you see, as we say, your sin was great, but his, his love was greater still. My shame was wide, his arms were wider. When you see that, when you truly see it and understand it, all of a sudden, our agendas start to break away. And we say, how can prudence and measured devotion be a proper response to that kind of love? How can prudence and measured devotion be a proper response to that kind of love? And when you see it, there are only two natural responses, and we see it in Mary here. A lowering of yourself in joyful humility and a giving of yourself in loving worship. A lowering of yourself in joyful humility and a giving of yourself in loving worship. You see, what you understand in that moment is there is nothing that you can do to earn any greater love than the love that Jesus has for you. He said he loves you, he loves us with the same love that the Father loves him. Can you imagine that? No matter what you have done or will do, He loves you. No matter what sin you have committed, are committing, or shall commit, He has paid for it. No matter how far you try to run away, He's waiting for you, behind you, with arms open wide to welcome you. What other response to that kind of love and grace is there but imprudence? impractical, radical, giving of myself all to him, all that I have, all that I own, all that I will ever own, all that I could ever think of owning or possessing All unreservedly to you, God, in my mess, I give it to you in my sin, I give it to you in whatever I think is good about me, I give it to you in whatever possessions I have, I give it to you in my intellect, my career, my family, it is all, as Paul says, as dung, that's the Christian church word, I'll let you fill in the other word, it is all as dung as compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord who in him has given me all things. And if he has given me all things, what does it cost to give him what little I have? And to trust him. That if I throw myself upon him unreservedly into his hand, that he's got me. If it costs me all that I own. If it costs me my career path. If it cost me what I thought my life would look like, if it cost me moving, if it cost me changing whatever needs to be changed, it cost me nothing really because all things are mine in Christ. That's what Mary had tasted. And that's why in this moment, this unseemly, what should be embarrassing moment, there's two people in the room that are not embarrassed because there's two people in that room that realized who he was and who he was for her. You can't do anything to earn any greater love than the love that Jesus has for you. But you can try to keep back a part of yourself. You can see it and walk away and try to be wise and prudent. You can make excuses. And this living in what his, living in his extravagant love is like. Do you see that this morning? How do you need to respond? What do you need to physically, mentally, metaphorically come and offer to Christ today? How is he calling you to respond like Mary did in this room? Do you need to reject and shake off prudence and caution in following him? Do you see his love for you? Do you see his death for you? Do you believe his resurrection for you? If you do, And the power of other things over you begin to fail. Your agendas fall apart. And all you can do is respond in gratefulness to his love. All I can do is urge you, fall down and surrender to him today. Whatever that looks like if you've never surrendered to him at all, if you're not a believer in Christ. Maybe up to this moment, you even thought you were. You've been around church, in church, but you know I've never experienced giving myself over to Christ like this before. Today can and should be the day that changes. Come to him for the first time. You can do that at your seat. You can grab somebody, ask them to pray with you, or you can... Come grab me on the front. I would love to pray with you. Wherever you are, respond to him today the way he's leading you. We're going to enjoy communion together now. Uh, The band's going to come up and going to play. We're going to have two stations, one on each side. There'll be the, the bread and the juice. You'll line up from the outside, go through, receive the broken body and the shed blood of Christ for you. Return to your seat, and I'll come back up after we finish singing, and I'll lead us in communion together. I just invite you and encourage you, use this coming forward and receiving of the bread and the juice as your response to Christ. And if there's other things that he's responding He's calling you to respond to him with, don't delay and don't wait. Do it this morning. If you want somebody to pray with you, I'd love to pray. Well, there will be people in the back right now um, or grab somebody beside you. Father, we thank you for your great love for us in Christ. God, we confess to you that we have often fallen under the siren song, I know I have, of prudence and wisdom. That's really just a masquerade saying, um, God, I'll follow you if you give me what I want. I'll give myself if you give back what I want in return where I'm gonna hold this part back for a little bit of security. Oh Father, show us the great love that you have for us in Christ Jesus. Reveal to us that you've, not just in our head, but to our heart, that you have given us freely all things in Jesus. God, turn us into a people who unreservedly radically and imprudently follow you with all of our hearts for your glory and for our joy, we pray.